1: Welcome back to Frank Film Club, the club for lovers and makers of film.
2: I'm Maisie Williams. I am an actor and producer. I'm Lowry Roberts and I'm a filmmaker and producer.
3: Hello, I'm Hannah Williams and I am a casting director. And welcome to our club.
1: Take one. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Frank Film Club. We are so happy to have you with us today. On this week's episode, we are going to be chatting about the incredible thriller, Sensor, which was directed by Welsh filmmaker Prano Bailey-Bond. Sensor is Prano's first feature-length film and is currently available to watch on Mubi. But before we get into all of that, Hannah, Lowry, how have you been? And also, just FYI, listeners, we're all in the same room. We're in! (laughs) <laughs> Yay. How have you guys been? What have you been up to?
3: Um, been really good, been really busy and was almost like, oh god, I don't have enough time to watch the film this week. But I was really glad that I did. And now I'm just really glad that we're together in real life to talk about it.
2: Yeah. I was exactly the same. I um it feels like this month has gone a bit mad, but in a really positive way. And it was actually really nice to put the time in to watch a film like this because I feel like in my downtime, I've just been watching Selling Sunset, which is probably not so good.
3: Not good for the creative juices, but definitely <laughs> good for like the aspirational purposes. Because want to live there. Definitely.
1: So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I don't want to sell the houses. I want to buy them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad that you guys are having a good week. And I'm so happy to see you both in person. And I'm thrilled uh, that we get to chat about this movie because you guys know that I love a horror thriller. Um, uh, For everyone listening, uh, Censor is a film which follows a character called Enid, who is a film censor in the UK uh, in the 1980s. After viewing a strangely familiar video nasty, Enid sets out to solve the past mystery of her sister's disappearance, embarking on a quest that dissolves the fine line between fiction and reality. The film is starring Neve Algar as Enid Baines, uh, Nicholas Burns as Sanderson, Vincent Franklin as Fraser, uh, and many others who we're gonna we're gonna dive in uh, later on. Um, And At the end of the episode, we're going to be joined by Prano Bailey Bond, uh, the director of this movie, and we're really excited to chat with her. Um, But first of all, guys, I just want to know, what did you think? What did you think of the film?
3: I can't really remember when I first heard about this film, but I watched it when it was like first around before it went on to Amazon Prime or movie. And I was really excited about it for three reasons. Neve Algar, I think, is amazing. Really excited. I thought the premise and the setting and the time really exciting. And then I was like, she's a Welsh director. Female, first feature. And me and my boyfriend Warren were really excited about this film. So we watched it then and, and um uh yeah, watching it again, really enjoyed watching it again. I was in a bit, bit of a def- different setting this time. It was the day, a little bit different, maybe. Also, I think um it gave me a little bit of space to like think about what I thought about the ending. Maybe the first time around, I was maybe a little bit confused. But all in all, I thought that um, stylistically,
2: Lush, and really enjoyed it. Oh my gosh, stylistically, it's absolutely incredible. Um, as I think we all know, I am awful with horror films. And so I had been putting off watching this film for a really long time because I'd also wanted to watch it um, because I'd heard heard such good things. Knew it was a Welsh director and it had done amazingly. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, absolutely, need to watch it. It's on the list. And it just stayed on the list for a really long time because I am a big scaredy cat. I work things up so much in my head to the point where I ruin the film for myself because I've just got my finger on the volume button the whole way through. And I'm like... (laughs) I work myself up, I definitely ruin it for myself. So I need to rewatch it and not be such a wuss because it's actually, it's not actually that terrifying. There's only one big jump scare and I did have the volume very low at that point, so it was fine. Um, All in all, absolutely loved it. It was great.
1: I think that you've touched on a really good point and something that a lot of people are kind of debating with this movie. Um, and, And that's the genre. I think that it being about a film censor and uh, her watching horror movies for a majority of this film and there being, you know, some gory bits. um, You know, it it has every kind of element that it needs to be a horror film. But in practice, it did feel maybe more mystery thriller. But I don't know. What do you, what did you, what did you think about that?
3: Yeah, I suppose it, does I I didn't find it particularly scary I I don't know what the jump scare
2: was actually that you're talking about there was one bit it was in like a dream sequence when her mum turns around and goes it's all your fault and the and the noise goes there's like a really loud sound it's like the noise was more jarring than anything at that point Mm. I'd say it's like
3: like freaky like you know like vivarium it really unsettles you and makes you feel nervous but there's nothing like outrightly gory or like jumpy in there apart from what you've just said there but then maybe because you're in the horror world in the film maybe it doesn't feel as scary I don't know because I'm not good with scary films either but I didn't I wasn't scared at all
2: Well, I do wonder if that's just partly the fact that I've gone in knowing it's a horror. It's like branded as a horror. And I think that in itself, I worked myself up. But yeah, it's not, it's not absolutely terrifying. On a second watch, it would be a very different watch for me. This is something that I really want
1: to ask Prano about because um, I did read a bit of her interview um, with The Guardian and I'll just read out a quote from it. She said, People have somehow found their way into thinking that they don't like horror, then realize it's a character study and maybe start to see that horror can be something different. People think that horror is just exploding heads and decapitations, of which we have a few in the film. Feels like there should be more to that quote, but that was the only part of the quote. <laughs> <laughs> End of quote. <laughs> Literally, that was like when they stopped quoting her. But I guess what she was saying... uh, is that even though this is rated a 15, um, that it can still be a horror and it can still have that um, moody uh, story, mystery sort of running throughout it and it doesn't have to just be pure scare factor, but that in itself is still part of the horror genre and it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be a mystery or thriller. Well, what does she say is the genre? Has she she said? I think that Prano would call this a horror. Right, yeah. And she's just redefining it. Well, I think that's... Because
3: she's a female director as well. And like what a take she's made on horror from a female perspective. And not being all about, yeah, women getting slaughtered.
2: (laughs) Yeah, like it is a very, it's quite often put on women in kind of like a weirdly sexual way as well. Yeah, it always has been. Yeah, but not at all in this movie.
1: I wanted to dive into some of the characters. Well, first of all, film censors. I didn't, <gasps> Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it, um, but such an interesting
2: role. And what did you know about that job before this? I didn't know anything about the job. Well, that's the thing. So I did know, well, actually not about censored, but about just when people have to like watch through a film for quality control and like do like the eye test. I can't believe that I haven't seen that in a film, in a film before, in a story before. And it makes it, it feels like it makes such a natural horror film.
1: Yeah, it feels like this being set in the 80s is very important because that the role then was being defined almost. There was a lot of movies from that time and there's a big kind of list of uh, video nasties is what they call them. Um, and it's kind of films from that time that didn't necessarily have like, the rules and regulations around what they could show and feature, and they're, like, pretty, like, horrific. Now I feel like there's quite broad outlines of what you can and can't show for, like, a 15 or an 18 but then it was kind of all up for grabs and a lot of the rules were made up by the film censors themselves. So people were, th- one of the first kind of like rules was that you couldn't see a drop of blood on a woman's bare chest. This was actually where the the idea of the film came from. Um, Prano read an article, a Hammer Horror era, where... A lot of these really awful films came from um, and the guidelines during that time. Yeah, this was kind of what some of the film censors came up with. And it made Prano start sort of wondering as a film censor, as you're watching this content, would you start doubting your own moral compass and start thinking, oh, I'm watching this, so maybe I'm going to now like want to, you know, kill someone or rape someone or whatever? Kind of wild. I listened to a podcast. It was about
3: people whose jobs it is to um, censor, audit images and videos on Google. And how they are under like a massive NDA and they're like mentally scarred from the things that they see. And obviously Enid's character ends up going through emotional turmoil. Because she's seen day in, day out a barrage of just absolute horridness. (laughs) Um, And uh, for for her to be doing that job, I find it very interesting to know that I didn't realize that they were the ones that were putting the sanctions on like what?
2: is because do you think that these people who had to do that or still have to do that get like desensitized to think like do you think it would have an effect on them in
1: that time there were a lot of news articles which linked certain uh crimes children going missing or I I can't think of like exact examples but certain like big news stories Two films that had been released that year and the subject matter that was in it. Um, And I don't think that this film kind of falls on either side of, you know, whether or not the content we watch informs the decisions that we make. Um, But it definitely riffs around that, um, you know, as someone who's watching a lot of disturbing content does that, you know, change the
2: your psyche? Yeah, well, because I suppose if that was the case and it did actually, like, make you do something horrific, like, you'd always, you would have always had to have had that in you and then that would have maybe, like, triggered it.
1: So on that notion, if we dive into Enid as a character and her breakdown as she's trying to uh, unpick the mystery of her uh, missing sister do you think that her watching these films and like the downfall of her character is in any way linked to what actually happened when her sister went missing? That was my biggest question I was going to ask you both.
3: What actually happened to the sister? Is it, it, do we know or did I
2: miss it? Or maybe we asked Prano, but what do you think? I don't think we're meant to know. But I definitely thought she killed her sister. This is uh, the incredible Sophia Laporta,
1: who plays Nina, her sister, but she actually plays a character called Alice Lee. And is it Nina or is it Alice? Question mark.
2: Well, I was just kind of thinking, like, when she doesn't remember, and there was another guy who'd actually just killed someone, and and he couldn't remember the killing. And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe that's, like, alluding to, because she was like, I can't remember what happened. So I was like, oh. Is that because you killed her? I wasn't entirely clear. I was like, because I thought that quite early on and then wondered if that was too early to be thinking that and be right. Did you think that? No, not at all. Not at all. That's really mad.
3: But now you say it, that actually makes sense. Or maybe actually it's in the film that she watches that thinks she then thinks has been made about her and her sister in that she does kill her sister. So that would make sense why you would think maybe she did kill her. But I have only just realized that now. And I didn't think it at the time. I thought maybe they went into a cabin and she got taken and
1: she couldn't help her. I thought that her sister did go missing and she didn't know what happened to her. And then kind of she ends up getting really kind of hooked on this film and like the downfall and everything that kind of happens when she's on that movie set and whether that's real or fake or whatever with Alice or Nina. But now that we're talking and we're saying if you're exposed to bad material and you make bad choices, you are going to make those bad choices anyway,
2: that I'm like, actually I feel like you might have a point now, right? Like maybe something bad. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to ask Pray now. Oh my gosh, I hope I'm right and if I'm not. I'm going to just be smug for now until we ask her <laughs> for the next 15 minutes yeah <laughs>
1: and so the ending how do you guys interpret that we see her get like you know her sisters there seemingly and they're running off into the woods and
2: everything is so beautiful they hop in the car
1: yeah and then you start to see the cracks emerge so what do you what do you think happened
2: i think that that's just like her completely her imagination and when you see those cracks that's the reality that like the parents are like oh my god you've just killed this person who isn't actually your sister and you think it's your sister and she's just like completely gone mad but it's completely in her own head thinking that it's okay
3: yeah agree I feel like she's fallen so deep into a psychosis and she's not seeing
1: anything anymore yeah well at the 58 minute mark the film's aspect ratio-, ratio slowly begins to shrink from the standard 235 one Um, and it goes into 135.1. I'm saying this as if I know what that means. I remember what it looked like when I was watching the TV, but I don't know what that means. (laughs) Um, And then when Frederick North shouts, cut, uh, it jumps back to wide angle again. It snaps back, and she definitely snaps back to the real world, but she still continues on her own. So I think for an audience, you start to realize... This isn't a dream anymore. We're out of the dream, but she's still not okay. (laughs) So, welcome back to In the Club, the portion of the show where we speak to you, our audience. But today, we are really lucky to be joined by the incredible Prano Bailey Bond, who directed our film Censor. Um, Prano is a writer director whose debut feature, Censor, starring Neve Algar. ...premiered at Sundance Film Festival in 2021 and later in Europe at the Berlinale. *Sensor* was nominated for nine biffers and won the European Federation of Fantastic Films Grand Prize. Prano has since been featured in Empire Magazine's British New Wave Edition and we are very lucky to be joined by her today... Thank you so much for joining us. How how have you been? How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Um, I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. (laughs) So we are thrilled to chat with you about this. As we said, we've just had our catch up um, about this movie. And I think it would be really great to start on the genre. Um, I've seen you uh, sort of t- t- talk about horror as a genre um, and the way that you've approached it with this film. Um, would you call Censor a horror or a thriller or a mystery or a combination of all of the above? <laughs>
0: um, well, obviously, when you sell the film and then, you know, it needs to be marketed, it has to be called a specific genre, doesn't it? So that's where... I suppose I would say it was a psychological horror. But if I got to choose what genre it, it was, I'd probably say it was a mystery about horror that becomes a horror. Yeah, I think I always saw the film first and foremost as a character study. And I always started with a character who's working as a film censor. That was I wanted to tell the story of a film censor. And I realised that through that, I could talk about our relationship with horror. That includes my relationship with horror, both as a filmmaker and an audience. But, um, you know, I wanted to explore sort of someone who was having a really complicated conversation with their moral compass in relation to what they were watching and whether that meant they were a good or a bad person. And that was really my starting point. So it was always quite psychological, really. But you're in a world that is a horror world. It's about watching horror. And I always knew that it would journey deeper and deeper into the world of the films that she's watching. But ultimately, it's a character study. And I've found it really interesting hearing audiences who aren't horror fans, who've gone to see it, who are like, oh didn't think I was going to like it because I don't like horror usually but that's really exciting because you're hopefully drawing um people a bit you know over to the dark side a little bit and 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 sort of saying that horror doesn't have to be all the things we expect it to be.
3: Yeah we were speaking a bit about um yeah female horror directors and what your voice gives to the genre which I think just uh there's a lot of Work that's coming out now that I find really interesting, and also the commentary on violence against women within that. Like, what did you want to like tell with that part of the story?
0: It's a really interesting question, actually, and it's something I thought about a lot within, you know, the development. Obviously, because I, I, I knew that violent the the topic of violence towards women had to come into it in some way, because one of the big problems with the video nasties in the 80s was the violence towards women. Um, It was a big reason why a lot of these films were being banned and, you know, why they were problematic. Um, But my interest in the character and the period wasn't about that, you know? I wanted to explore a female character, perhaps, in a way that didn't... It wasn't sort of centred around her being a victim. It was about actually, rather than seeing a woman in a film who's a victim in a horror film, this woman who's kind of running through the forest in her nightie, that rather than being the the prey, she's the predator. So I wanted to sort of play on that. um, And I wanted to acknowledge the violence towards women without making it the front and full ground of the film, because that wasn't... the. I want to see more women on screen that that aren't you know like i say that aren't that playing the victim that you know we're seeing another sort of side to female characters we're seeing women who are grappling with their own demons and dark sides um which i don't think we get to see enough of we see lots of men male characters doing that but um it sort of means that as women that's not being acknowledged in us that we're we're all kind of we've all got we're not just dealing with the the external darkness of the world some of us have our own deep dark stuff going on inside
1: <laughs> we had been kind of debating whether there is like a downfall of enid or whether there was something sort of darker within her even from childhood and maybe she made poor decisions with her sister that she can't quite remember um I don't know if you even have the answer to that, but when did Enid become the predator?
0: She was always going to become the predator towards the end. You know, it was always about this woman who was going to sort of, in some way, um, I mean, I don't know if what Enid does at the end is a, a revenge in terms of what goes on with the Beast Man and Frederick. I didn't necessarily see it as as a revenge, or I almost saw it more as like an emotional explosion. Um, that she's been so censored and repressed her whole life that she hasn't actually learned how to deal with the emotions when they come out. So when they do come out, it's like this big mess. Um, But in terms of her backstory and that um, idea of, you know, what really happened to her sister and what does that mean about whether she's a good person or a bad person... I love that you've spoken about that because my intention was always that I wanted people to come away from the film and for that to be a conversation. And I didn't want to tie that up in a little bow because I'm keeping us in, in Enid's point of view, ultimately. And Enid never finds out, you know, she, she'll never know what really happened. And so in, the audience will never know and actually that is the the ultimate horror of censor is that the not knowing um and so yeah it was important to me that i kept us in in her perspective but um i obviously writing the film and then working with neve Alger, i needed to have a truth for myself i feel like it's important that you know as the creator as the storyteller what really happens so I do have a truth. I will. I'll never say what it is <laughs> because that would destroy the the conversation, but I think you have to have that grounding, and, and then, you know, with working with me, um, I never said the truth to her either. I would give her clues. I would say what I kind of thought maybe it was this, but I wanted it to be something that could be like a, a tightrope walk in the film, because that's what Ina's having a tightrope walk you know about in her head so that's my mysterious answer
2: (laughs) I love that so much we had really good chats about that and we had and came away from the film with very differing thoughts I think on it yeah that's cool I like that
3: well, let's talk about the filmmaking process or actually the genesis of the film. So we saw that you made a show in 2015 or it came out in 2015 called Nasty. Nasty. Um, and yeah, was that a proof of concept? What happened from that film to this film?
0: So I had the idea for Censor before making Nasty, but I was researching the period. I, I As I said, I originally I was like, oh, I want to tell the story of the film Censor. And then I thought, well, when will I set it? And uh, I wanted to learn as much as possible about kind of the history of British film censorship and reading a lot of stuff about how, you know, the one of the biggest fears was around how these films are going to affect children. So I had this idea for a short that was almost like this was a story that could be going on across town um, it wasn't the same story or the same characters, but it allowed me to explore the world of the video nasties or the journey that I wanted to... I knew I wanted to kind of create this journey in, in the feature film, which was from this kind of bleak, grey, oppressive Thatcher's Britain, very kind of grey, blue, bland, into this like lurid, colourful world of the video nasties. So it the short film allowed me to explore and develop that world and um try out some of the techniques and uh that I wanted to use for the feature. For example, we shot the short on 16mm and I wanted to shoot the, the film and ended up shooting the film on 35mm. And there were quite a few sort of transitions and visual effects and things that I could test in the short and go, that works, I'm keeping that. So it was almost like the the feature informed the short and then the short kind of informed the feature back um and it was a great thing to do because it wasn't an official proof of concept but it allowed me to um manifest the world that I wanted to to create in the feature film and present that to people and say this and then people are like oh okay we get it you know we understand there's a tangible thing so financiers could see that world they could see that I was able to create that world and also taking Nasty to so many film festivals meant I knew that there was an audience as well that were interested in this kind of story and and the idea of setting something in this video Nasty era.
1: We had all said how much we adored like the visual language of this film. Um, So to hear kind of that um, you explored that more um, in Nasty, we should definitely go and watch. But I wanted to um, ask you about the shift in aspect ratio. How did that decision come about?
0: So it's uh, so actually one of the ideas that I tried in Nasty as well. It's about watching films, and, and so and and kind of it's about fiction versus reality. And so the fact that you know the the aspect ratio could be used as a signifier to the audience in terms of like when we are in full blown reality and when we're in fiction um, felt really helpful to me in terms of storytelling but i also wanted it to be something that it wasn't really obvious it was in the same way as both in the character in the short film doug and enid their decline into the video nasty world is a gradual one i wanted it to be a gradual decline for the audience as well so we shot the whole thing full screen because you just never know if you're going to drop a scene In the edit or you're going to move something around and you need that flexibility so um that was actually really helpful because during the edit um me and my editor mark towns realized there was a point which is when enid comes frederick north calls cut and enid sort of flips back out of this kind of weird deluded video nasty scene um, that we were like, oh, we can go back to full screen at that point. and And we had the, the the sides of the image in order to be able to do that. So there were some further kind of developments in the edit, but it was all planned in advance and much easier to do on Sense than on Nasty because we had more crew and on Nasty, I was doing all these sums.
2: <laughs> With the start of the film, you I- may have done a cameo. <laughs> yeah. So were you know the whole intro where there's it's kind of like montagey and you see lots of different clips that felt like it was from actual old films so firstly we'd love to know was was it or was it a mixture and yeah what did you do a cameo i did do a cameo um and it is linked to those that montage at the front so
0: um yeah the montage the title sequence is a mixture of films from the period and a little bit of nasty and a little bit of stuff that we shot, especially for censor. So it's kind of a mishmash. Um, But I knew kind of going into the shoot that I wanted certain clips playing on TV screens. But then during the edit, we, we decided to put this title sequence together and we needed more clips. And obviously, you know, licensing these clips is... One, complicated, because you need to find the person who has the rights, and they're, like, obscure films, so it's not that easy to find them. Um, And two, can be really expensive. So we managed to obviously get things like Nightmare in a Damaged Brain and uh, various other films that we used at the beginning, but we had another clip that was of a woman coming out of, like, this bath of blood and swinging a knife. And when we went to try and licence the clip... um, it was a ridiculous amount of money. We were never going to be able to afford it. So I said, this was during lockdown, the first lockdown. It were sort of still in the edit. And I was like, oh, well, I've got a nighty in my room um, from Nasty. It's the mum's nighty.' So I was like, oh, I'll just stick that on. I lived with my DOP at the time. And I, I went to the local shop and bought a massive tin of tin tomatoes, like one of those giant ones and covered myself in them because I only had a small amount of fake blood and we had this wooden wall and we shot it on a dv camera and did an iphone backup shot format wise actually it means we've got we opened the film with eight millimeter super eight millimeter footage we shot most of it on 35 millimeter we have a little bit of vhs in there we shot some of the nighttime forest scenes on digital and then we have one iPhone shot because of this cameo <laughs> so um, we really spread the love across the formats um and I got to do a cameo which was never I was never trying to do like a kind of Alfred Hitchcock thing or anything like that <laughs> yeah. it was just one of those things where you're like well I've got long brown hair and I can I can do this and then we don't have to pay the money that we just have no way of getting that amount of money for this one tiny clip but it's fun. It's a fun thing. Who knows? Maybe I'll do it in another film.
3: <laughs> yeah, that thing. should be your staple from this <laughs> day. Yeah. From this film forward. Um. So, yeah. So speaking about um money and also the short, did Film Cymru fund Nasty?
0: No. Um. I... I- didn't actually realise that I could have gone and asked them for funding at the time, um, because I thought, oh, well, I don't I live in Wales, and, and, but even though I'm born there, I, just, I didn't know that you could still apply. I mean, it's a brilliant thing that Film Cymru do, that, you know, if you're Welsh, then you can apply even if you don't live in Wales. Anyway, we, we worked that out by the time we got to the feature um but i I ended up crowdfunding for nasty, so that was how that was financed. I did try and get funding from the b f i but it was it was kind of pre b f i network when you know they only had a tiny amount of shorts they funded and we weren't successful, so I was like, well we'll do it do it ourselves and I think there's something i think in a way financing your some of your shorts independently, particularly I mean Nasty was one of my last shorts. It wasn't um it wasn't an early short, but I do think you've got a lot of freedom creatively when you you aren't working with a, a public funder because you're not getting their notes. And as much as I think those notes can be really helpful, um and I definitely think that you know they made um sense of better because of that process we were going through. I think if you start in that situation where you've got all those voices coming in as a filmmaker, you don't really get to figure out yourself first. And I think it's really important that you, you, you know, really understand who you are and what you want. And that might mean making some mistakes along the way. And at least they're your mistakes. You know, if you decided you weren't forced to do it that way, um, so I think there's a huge benefit in some ways. It's just hard because where do you get the money from? But with a lot of my early shorts, I used to do things like I'd find a location and then try and write something around that location because then you're not going, oh, now I need to find a castle or a spaceship to set this thing in Britain, you know, and and just basically trying to find ways that you can use the resources around you to to keep your costs down and beg all your mates to come and work on the film and and that turned out really well because those people are people I still work with like my DOP, Annika Summerson, costume designer, makeup artist, sound designer, all on sensor. I'd worked with across loads of my short films.
1: And you said um there like growing up in Wales um how did you use movie, watching movies in that time to um I don't know, just like escape into new worlds and how has that then influenced the sorts of films that, that you do make now?
0: I mean I grew up in the middle of nowhere in rural Wales and I had my parents' video collection on a shelf um, that was my sort of you know, very, very early film school in a way, because watching watching films is learning about films and so I used to sit with this small collection and just watch and rewatch those films over and over again. Um they were things like Blue Velvet and uh actually I was gonna go a raise head like so loads of David Lynch films, John Carpenter, The Marx Brothers, um, and then when I started to get my own collection together, it was kind of like Harmony Cream, Quentin Tarantino, Mary Harron you know, um you're you're sort of learning so much at that point that's going in without you even realising it. Um I didn't get to go to the cinema much because it was quite far away from my house and um, there was only one bus a week to town. (laughs) Um, So, um, but I think that there's a lot of that experience, um, that VHS shelf experience that's there in many different ways in both Nasty and Sensor, particularly in Nasty because it's about a little kid discovering their parents video collection and delving in to try to find things out you know through those videos and I I think that's all kind of quite personal to me um but yeah I mean I there are certain films and filmmakers that that kind of I think they just seeped into my consciousness (laughs) like David Lynch who taught me so much his films taught me so much about like the potential of cinema. you know, a film like "Blue Velvet," the idea in that film about how you can manifest what's going on internally in a character, in the world around that character, this idea of somebody who's battling their inner dark and light, and the you know the real world around them is this kind of sleepy, light world of Lumberton, and then this kind of dark, twisted criminal world underneath that he discovers, and the way he's sort of battling stuff internally. through the through that journey in that in that dark underworld you know I I learned loads about how you could um tell stories I suppose from watching that film and other Lynch films um uh yeah so that's
2: that's a ramble about that (laughs) (laughs) that's so incredible I feel quite envious that I didn't watch those kind of films growing up I just watched like the films that you as a child would be told to watch and like there were, none of my my parents didn't watch any arty films or anything at all so yeah I'm I also always feel envious of people who have had a bit more of a cultured upbringing I suppose film-wise oh, yeah no
0: I was really lucky that that they had such weird taste
3: <laughs> I was just gonna ask if
0: if Nasty is available to watch online? Uh, no, it's not, I'm afraid. Um, yeah, it's not online. It's on the censor UK Blu-ray release, but I know that's not accessible for everybody. But um, yeah, it is one of the extras on there.
1: And I don't know if you know what you're going on to next, um, but uh, can you share any details with us?
0: Um, I'm writing a few different things at the moment, um, which is really fun. Um I'm really excited about everything I'm working on. Um, the only project that's actually been announced is uh an adaptation of Mariana Enríquez short story called Things We Lost in the Fire. And um that's a collaboration with a brilliant producer called Rodrigo Teixeira. Yeah, he's he's a Brazilian producer and, and Mariana Enríquez is Argentinian um really incredible writer. So that is Uh, one of the projects that I'm working on at the moment and then there's other projects with Film 4 and and Film Wales as well.
1: sounds fabulous and a really great collaboration so we can't wait.
2: Yeah thanks so much for coming on it this has been such a good chat. Yeah it's a pleasure thanks for having me.
1: So that was brilliant do you know what the budget was Maisie? I do do you guys want to guess? Well, it was film
3: coming well, so it we wouldn't have been that much. <laughs> um, three? Three million.
1: I might just go with that as well. It was 1.75. Oh. I know. But they said shot on 35 and shot on um VHS. And I thought for 1.75 million, shooting it, the whole thing. Maybe they didn't do the whole thing. But yeah, expensive.
2: Well, Craig... Um, the other week was only saying that it's not actually that much more expensive shooting on film if you know what you're doing. So maybe kill a crew. Prano just knows what she's doing while well, I'm the crew, obviously. Had a game plan,
3: stuck to it.
1: Guys, what are some of your final thoughts? I really love
3: speaking to Prano. I I really love learning about people's first features and how they got it to the point that they made it. Um, Especially when it just feels so close to home because she's using Film Wills and I work with them quite a lot and I know you girls do as well so um yeah I think she is I think she's incredible stylistically um I thought it was brilliant and I um, can't wait to see what she does
2: next uh yeah yeah I well firstly feel bad for pronouncing her name wrong for half of this episode sorry Prano we're so sorry Prano <laughs> but anyway Love the film. I'm like so intrigued now about what actually did happen. Like even more intrigued because she wouldn't tell us. But I love that because it's so true. As soon as she says this is the truth of what happened, then it does stop all conversation. Um, But yeah, has really got me thinking. I don't know if I was right in what I thought, but it's yeah, it was just a great film. Stylistically so pleasing. Um, I'm very... uh, original and i just loved yeah yeah i agree i think it's
1: such an incredible debut feature and i like still somehow like just can't wait to see what else prano is going to do and i think that that's like such a cool position to be in like at this point um and yeah obviously just like this genre is like well up my street um and i just really like how she's redefining really the the genre um and yeah just a real pleasure to to speak with her and um very 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 very
2: fun episode guys yeah love that we need to get in the same room more often definitely Mm.
1: thank you so much for listening to this week's episode we hope that you enjoyed it and if you did then please make sure that you give us a five star rating Next episode, we are going to be watching Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, an absolute classic, and I just can't wait to talk about it. You can watch it on Apple TV, so go over there and uh, stream it, and then meet us back here next week. Um, I also wanted to give another little message to anyone who is listening who is based in or near London and fancies coming to one of our live in-person events. We are going to be screening five of our favourite films um, at the Mondrian Hotel, uh, the Curtain Club that is situated just on the same premises. And uh, we are starting these from the 9th of May um, and we're doing it every Monday from then until the 6th of June. So that's Monday the 9th of May, Monday the 16th, the 23rd, the 2nd of June, and then the 6th of June. So if you fancy joining us and coming and being one of our guests there, then email us over at filmclubrap.world at or message us on Instagram at Frank Film Club um, and let us know if you're interested or if you want to bring any friends um, and we would be so happy to have you. So we look forward to seeing you again or you know chatting with you again next week Um, and make sure that you email us if you fancy coming to our live event and we'll see you next Wednesday for more Frank Film Club. Bye bye!